Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to The Passing Shot. Medvedev meets Goffan in unlikely Cincinnati final. Osaka clings on to women's world number one spot. And Andy Murray decides to skip the US Open. It's been the final ATP Masters and WTA Premier events before the US Open, with many of the top players fine-tuning their games for the final time before they hit the hard courts of Flushing Meadow. Again, we've had some thrills, we've had some spills, and we've had some more moments of madness from Nick Kyrgios. But before we get into all that, the Cincinnati Men's Trophy, Kim, is that, is that rivaling Hamburg for one of the worst trophy designs on the tour? Well, it's certainly different, isn't it, Joel? Um, <laughs> and I maybe do some research into it because um, I, it's actually the only ceramic trophy on the tour, ceramic, ceramic, instead of, I guess, the usual, well, I don't know, what trophy is normally made of metal, <laughs> silver, gold. You know, it's a bit different to the Wimbledon trophy, isn't it? It just looks like I should put some flowers in it and then leave it on my mantelpiece. Yeah, it's something like you find in cash in the attic or something on a, <laughs> on the TV. Like, <laughs> um, but yeah, apparently it's designed each year by local firm, the Rookwood Pottery Company, uh, and they kind of the 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 base remains the same every year with the names of all the winners, and then they just design a new top thing every year. Um, but interestingly, <laughs> in the first Cincinnati Open in 1899, the gentleman's singles first prize was a Rookwood Ale set. So they got a tankard and six mugs, uh, which Love is that. perhaps a more practical <laughs> trophy than uh, the current design. But um, yeah, I mean, I guess it's it's a talking point. It's something quite different and unique about the the, the Western and Southern Open. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's it's been... Oh, a bit of a strange tournament, hasn't it, Joel? I mean, we've got the men's final coming up as we're recording this. And that's Medvedev, I think we need to talk about. It's his third straight final in a row. That's That's got to be... Is that is that a first for the ATP this season? Has anyone done that? I, I think so. I think I was reading the other day, um, if he were to get to the final, I think the last person to do three finals in three weeks was Zverev last season um he must really want that vase trophy uh kim <laughs> yeah he must he must really you know like this year's design i mean he probably just wants to get a winner's trophy right now um he doesn't care what it looks like because you know he's he reached the washington final the montreal final so i guess he's hoping it's third time lucky in cincinnati um, and here we be playing david goffan so i i would pick medvedev as as the favorite going into that what with his recent run of form yeah, I mean the David Goffin coming through that 
that bottom half of the draw. And really, that bottom half of the draw was absolutely wide open. You know, I think we had some dropouts in terms of like Nadal and, and Dominic team. And it basically just opened. It was just basically a free for all uh, that bottom half for a player you know, who may not have got to a, a Masters final before to to make a first-time appearance. And, you know, David Goffin, you know, came through, you know, Taylor Fritz, Guido Pella, Manorino, Nishioka and Gasquet. And you kind of look at that route and it's like, you wouldn't necessarily say that's a Masters level sort of route. Yeah, in fact, I think his toughest match was probably Taylor Fritz in the first round. I mean, looking at the names and, you know, recent form. Yeah, it seems like more of a, the field for maybe a 250 or or 500, perhaps. But um, yeah, Medvedev, I guess, arguably had a slightly tougher tougher draw through. I mean, he beat Carl Edmund, didn't he, um, in his first match? And then Benoit Paire, Jan, Jan Leonard Struth, um, Andre Rublev, and then Novak Djokovic, who I guess we had kind of put down as the overwhelming favourite for the tournament, what with, you know, Rafa not being there, Federer losing. But yeah, Medvedev came through in three sets in their semi-final yesterday. Uh, so we've got Medvedev Goffin in the final. Now they've only played twice before. It's one one all in their head-to-head. I think they, did they play at Wimbledon this year? And Medved, Medvedev was a break up in the fifth set, but uh, Goffin came back. So... Yeah, it'll be interesting. They've got, you know, relatively recent, you know, history. Yes, and I think and I was reading about about that match and I think Goffin, although um, Goffin was 4-1 down in that fifth set, he kind of felt that he was playing the better tennis and, you know, wasn't that, um, even though Medvedev was 4-1 up, it was a bit, he felt it was a bit sort of deceiving. And, you know, I think going into, you know, this match, I don't think Medvedev's going to have that, you know, in the back of his mind. He's certainly, you know, the most... I would say the most informed player at the moment. And, you know, David Goffin is going to, you know, have to use all of his you know, ability to basically kind of be on top in the rallies because we've seen that, you know, Medvedev has this power and can really kind of take control of points from, you know, early on in the rally. And I think it's going to be, you know, how good David Goffin can, you know, can defend and kind of turn, you know, a, you know go on the counter from, you know, potentially kind of, Medvedev attacking so um yeah I think it's going to be an interesting matchup I think yeah Medvedev's got to be the favorite mm, yeah definitely and it does beg the question though doesn't it Joe I mean Medvedev where would you put him you know up on the list of contenders for the US Open because you know he's practically unbeaten in the last couple of weeks he's obviously going with incredible form is that going to translate into you know best of five set matches or could he actually, you know, just lose in the first round? I mean, he could get a shocking draw. He might have played too much, you know, might be a bit fatigued. I mean, where do you see him him getting? I think he's, I certainly think he's a, I want to say he's a contender. I want to say he's more of a dark horse than a, than a dead cert. Um, you know, I think he got to the third round last year and lost, you know, in straight sets to Chorich, uh, but he did take out Sispas in, in the second round. So I think he plays well at Flushing Meadow, and you obviously go in there with bags of confidence. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him, you know, in the quarterfinals. But you know, if he's coming up against Novak Djokovic in a Grand Slam in best of five set tennis, do I think that he's going to be able to kind of maintain it? Um, you know, in a, in a Grand Slam. At Grand Slam level, um, you know, in a in a new environment, you know that he's he's not, you know, been there before. You know, I still kind of see, you know, I still kind of see no, you know, 
if if it did happen, like the big sort of four being able to kind of tame Medvedev. I just think, you know, he's very dangerous at the kind of best of three set sort of level. But it will be interesting to see, yeah, if it if he can do it at best of five. I think the the jury the jury is still out. In a similar way, I think, you know, with with you know, obviously with with Alex Verev, you know, he needs a breakout tournament. And I think, you know, with Medvedev, he's probably perfectly primed for you know the US Open to be that breakout Grand Slam because I don't think he's had that breakout moment at a Grand Slam yet. Yeah, and that is fundamentally kind of the defining moment of a career, isn't it? Like what you do at the Grand Slams, it's, it's all very well coming through these like smaller tournaments. Obviously, the Masters tournaments are still very important, get a lot of ranking points and you know prize money, but the Grand Slams are what you know we all remember at the end of the day. Um, interestingly, Goffin is actually the first Belgian to reach a Masters uh, 1000 final, so. He's already made history, but if Goffin did win over Medvedev today, then he'd be the first Belgian, I suppose, to win a Masters. And yeah, I guess, and you know, he's a player that you would say, yeah, at the end of his career, he probably deserves to get a Masters title. I mean, he's been, I mean, obviously he's been top 10. And I think, you know, he was coming into, I think he was coming into Sassy with absolutely no form whatsoever. I think he lost in... He lost his lost first in rounds Ram- in Washington and Montreal. So yeah, so no absolutely... <laughs> No form, so he'll be really happy to to have got to the final. I think he's made the most of, you know, quite a I dare I say comfortable draw, and you know I'm kind of agreeing with you. I kind of see Medvedev coming through that in um, in straight sets, but uh, we we shall see. But kind of moving on from the final, arguably the other, you know, probably for British fans, an even bigger match than the final itself is. The return of Andy Murray, who um, came up against Richard Gasquet in the first round, lost in straight sets, and everyone was like a little bit disappointed. And then Gasquet actually got to the the semi-finals, yeah. so you know, kind of <laughs> on reflection, actually not not too bad. Um, and yeah, it, it, he's kind of announced that you know he's not going to be partaking in the U.S. Open. He's going to firmly focus on singles. And specifically, like best of three set singles, and the yeah, the Andy Murray doubles experiment is over. The Andy Murray singles comeback is kind of is raring to go now. I think. I think yeah, the match against Gasquet was par for the course. I think that was kind of how I expected it to go. You know, six four six four standard, but yeah, maybe in hindsight because of what Gasquet went on to do, it's actually quite a, a reasonable result. So. I think Winston Salem will be perhaps more interesting now that we've sort of got a glimpse of Andy back in the singles. And uh, I think he's probably making a wise move to just focus on singles now if he knows what's right for him. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was interesting earlier in the week because he was like, um, I'm not going to play US Open, but I think there was some media kind of reporting that he was looking potentially to play us open qualifying which is best of three sets and i think in his head he was kind of thinking you know if i go into qualifying and come through qualifying that means i'm ready for best of five set tennis rather than kind of going in on a protected ranking or a wild card or whatever straight into the main draw straight into a best of five set match i don't think that was kind of his you know that's not what he wanted to do he wants to get more best of three set tennis and i think he kind of missed the I think he missed the cutoff in terms of hmm. being able to get into to qualifying. So yeah, he goes into Winston Salem. I think he's up against Tennis Sangren in in round one, and uh, I think he could come up against Shapovalov. 
um, and a few other kind of next geners if he kind of goes deep in that tournament. As you said, it will be interesting. I don't think there's any sort of expectation. Um, One on, match you know, at a time, I think, is it, it, the exa- exactly is the motto. But I mean, yeah, it's a shame though. I mean, I did enjoy seeing him, you know, on the doubles court. I could get used to that, him and Felly. But they, did they, well, they played uh, Jamie Murray. So Andy and Jamie were up against each other um, in the doubles. And Jamie came through that one with with Nil Skupski. And it was actually shown successfully by Amazon Prime, I do believe. (laughs) uh, Much to the (laughs) pleasure of British tennis fans. But um yeah, and actually, incidentally, the men's doubles final has just happened out in Cincinnati. So Dodik and Palasek beat Cabal and Farah in that final. Um, but yeah, going back to the singles uh, out in Cincinnati, it, it was a pretty open tournament, wasn't it? We've obviously just mentioned Goffa and Medvedev final, but I think some of the no- other notable things that happened, for me, it was Andre Rublev defeating Roger Federer in, what was it, 62 minutes on court. It has got to be one of Federer's quickest defeats in, in his career. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it was kind of like his, his quickest defeat in over like 15 years or something. <laughs> I was very, I was very shocked. Uh, I was yeah. looking at live scores and he just, well, he just, he blew him off the court. And I just thought it was funny that, you know, last week we were talking about, oh, who's going to be the Russian, Russian world number one. Is it Kachanov or is it Medvedev? And we didn't even talk about Andrei Rublev, who I think, you know, his career's kind of stalled a little bit. I know he's had a few kind of injuries that have kind of prevented his, you know, preventing his rise up the rankings. And, you know, you could see the emotion and, you know, when he won that match, it meant so much to him. And, you know, it just shows what what a talent he is. Yeah, I mean, I remember seeing him, you know, I've seen him play live. He's very feisty, he's very unpredictable, quite, you know, gets quite angry and works up. But I think, yeah, he's one of those players, when he puts it together, he can be really, really dangerous. But the funniest thing is that he actually apparently forgot to sign up to the tournament and was only in the qualifying for Cincinnati because of an alternate spot. So someone had pulled out. And then, you know, lo and behold, he comes through, defeats Roger Federer in straight sets. So that's <laughs> just quite, you know, quite ironic. Um, and then, well, another player who had a bit of a, well, disastrous end to the tournament was Yoshihito Nishioka, who um, he's Food been poisoning. in a bit of, he, he, he was in a bit of good form, didn't he? Yeah, Did he, he, he beat Nishikuri. He, yeah, in, he beat his fellow like, Japanese player. Yeah, yeah he, he beat Nishikuri, um uh, in the kind of yeah, in, in the bottom half, I think got through to the quarterfinals, and but had to pull out before. Uh, yeah, because he got food poisoning. I just think I don't think anyone was kind of spiking his food, or you know, well, I don't think it was any sort of. Uh, I wasn't. Uh, Goff, I don't know. think it was a David Goffad fan, or uh, we don't opponent. need a Hercule Poirot to try and decipher what happened. <laughs> Uh, yeah so another you know and then we also had you know talking of the next geners they had a pretty disastrous tournament so Sitsipas and Zverev all lost in their first match so they're gonna need to find some form in you know the run-up to the US Open I think Sitsipas since since Wimbledon well since Queens Wimbledon since the grass he's um he's lost three straight matches so he's I don't know maybe something's just in his head he's not kind of having a, a great time of it um, right now. He's going to need to regroup for the US Open. Yes, and Alex Zverev as well is probably having an even worse time of it. Um, he lost to Kekmanovic qualifier 
six seven six two six four. He served twenty double faults in the match. Oh, um, it's which like is... Indy Devroom, our uh, <laughs> regular double faulter. He appeared well, no, but... several times on scoreboard stories. Well, maybe he's taking service tips from Camilla Georgie. I don't know. Maybe. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I he has you know he's obviously lost some confidence, and he's going to need to repair that pretty quickly. I think he's taken. I think he's playing Winston Salem next week. I think he's. I think he needs um, to play it, yeah. Yeah, I think he, you're right. I think he does. And again, he will he will probably be going into the US Open as a a seed that players, you know, unseeded players will going to be looking at probably and thinking, actually, you know, I think I can, you know, probably take him out and kind of, uh, yeah, because I think he is a good player to play against in the early rounds at the moment because he's... Winnable. <laughs> Winnable for any opponent. <laughs> Maybe uh, Andy should come up against Vera. He might have a chance. (laughs) (laughs) But Joel, right. So we can't, I guess, move on before we talk about, you know, uh, sort of the antics of of Nick Kyrgios again. I mean, I don't want to pay too much attention to to him and give him the airtime, but I see you (laughs) sitting there with your Wallabies shirt on. So (laughs) what what do you make of what happened this week with Kyrgios and uh, his... It's $113,000 worth of fines for unsportsmanlike conduct. Yes. He, um, yeah, for all our listeners who weren't aware, some more kind of moments of madness from Nick Kyrgios in his match against Karen Kachanov, who came out in a pretty, um, you know, it was a pretty tight match for, you know, the majority of it. It came through 6-7-7-6-6-2. But yeah, we had some Kyrgios antics through the match. Specifically, um, he took a bathroom break, which the umpire didn't, I don't think, allowed, but he just did it anyway. And he absolutely obliterated two rackets in the um, in the corridors, which were fantastically captured by cameras, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> which I which I absolutely love. The fact that you could, they've got a camera that's just like following the players literally to the bathroom door. To the door door of the toilet, yeah. (laughs) I know. And uh, yeah, I think he was given five, he was fined for five separate incidences um, of unsportsmanlike conduct. $113,000. I think that was, it was like 10% of his earnings this year. So quite a heavy amount, but it's kind of opened up the debate amongst, you know, amongst fans, amongst journalists is that, you know, is is you know, in terms of kind of um, in in terms of the um, punishment that has been giving out to to Kyrgios, should it be a suspension or should it be something more? Because you know, is there the argument that you know fines are not actually doing anything to him? He doesn't really care. You know, he he can kind of bat an eyelid. You know, one hundred thirteen thousand dollars is not going to make him change his behaviour. Whereas something like a suspension that might hit Matt might like get him or in order a bit more. Um, and I don't know, Kim, about you, but I feel like there's a little. You know, I don't know if kind of tournament organisers or the ATP are. You know, maybe like there's a bit of conspiracy theories around not kind of giving a suspension to Nick Kyrgios because of the fact that, you know, he is an entertainer. He does put bums on seats. You know, people want to go to live tennis and watch him play. And, you know, obviously he can't do that with a, you know, two month suspension or, or, or whatever. So I think there's a little, there's a little debate there. And we, we put that on, on Twitter. Um, but before we kind of get into some of kind of our listeners thoughts, what, what do you make of it? 
Well, yeah, but now I think, you know, yes, he does put bums on seats, but what are people going to watch him for now? Is it to, to try and, you know, are they watching him in the vain hope that they might see, you know, a car crash happen before their eyes in the sense that he'll get angry, swear at the crowd, throw some rackets? You know, you get the sort of people that want to see that. I mean, I don't know, are they serious tennis fans or are they just sort of blokes there having a laugh with a few beers, wanting to watch his antics? I, I don't know if it's attracting the right sort of people. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, Boris Becker uh, had his two pence worth on Twitter and he said, you know, that he thought the fine was deserving, you know, for Kyrgios's unsportsmanlike behaviour, but that suspension would be unjustified and way too harsh. But for me personally, I think that something extra has got to be done because Kyrgios is clearly not learning from the fines that he's been getting. So at some stage, how, you, you how have long to go would you suspend beyond, him for? beyond that. Well, I mean, yeah, as you say, it's, I see the point of why they wouldn't, why the ATP wouldn't want to suspend him yet, as you said, because the tournament directors probably think, oh, you know, he's due to play our tournament. We want him there as a, you know, showpiece. I don't know, perhaps, perhaps something like two, three months. You know, I wouldn't just say like a whole year or anything, but just maybe something extra to to deter him. I mean, yeah, some of our listeners sort of gave us their thoughts. So, for example, Bell Bumbles um, asked if there is an umpire's union because perhaps they should refuse to do Nick Kyrgios' matches. Um, she said he is box office, but there is a line eventually. And at the moment, he is untouchable other than the wallet. So if financial, you know, financial sanctions aren't getting through, yeah, maybe there has to be something else which affects him in a different way. I mean, we had Nicole also saying that, yeah, he needs to be taught a lesson about what is and isn't acceptable. Both the ATP and the fans need to stop enabling this type of behaviour under the pretense of being good for tennis and he's young. Uh, I mean, what do you make of that, Joel? Do you think we do, like fans, some fans do kind of allow his behaviour because they just kind of brush it aside as, oh, you know, it's good for the game or, yeah, he'll grow up eventually. It's like, well, actually, he's mid-20s almost. Like, I think... He should be growing up by now. Uh, yeah, de- definitely. I think there is. I think there is something kind of interesting there. In though, we we could, you know, in theory, you know, hypothetically, we could see Nick Kyrgios kind of grow, grow up as a tennis tennis player, and there's a nice kind of narrative and, and a storyline there. And you know, if he's off court, we can't really kind of see that as a fan. Um, but you know, if if we can kind of see his, we've seen his bad behaviour on a tennis court. Let's see his good behavior as well, and I, and I, you know, I, I'll kind of, I do want to see that, and I think, you know, if you just suspend him and and not let him kind of live you know, his life on a tennis court, I don't know whether that's going to kind of, you know, is that going to alter him? I, I'm not sure. And he might come back even if he did get suspended. He might be exactly the same. You know, almost perhaps as like a defiance thing, like you will not stop me. This is who I am. I mean, and I don't want to bring gender into it, but from discussions that I've had, I feel like sometimes the people that condone Nick Kyrgios are men. Like, I mean, I, I don't know. And Pusha T has sort of said that, you know, we're trying, we're trying to move on from the kind of bullying boys club environment, you know, because for example, Boris Becker is, you know, perhaps would take the player side because, you know, Becker played in the time of guys like McEnroe and Connors, you know, and obviously they used to fly off the handle as well. So it's not exactly anything new, is it? What Kyrgios is doing. But I guess there is there like a sense of we need to move beyond this. I mean, I don't like to see this kind of extreme 
anger and aggression on court. I don't, I feel uncomfortable with that behavior. Um, but I know that, you know, it's, you know, you get carried away in the heat of the moment and I guess he's doing it because he does, he does care about the sport and he gets annoyed with himself. So let's see what happens uh, at the US (laughs) Open because I I feel like there's going to be some more incidences, some more controversies just around the corner and maybe that will happen at Flushing Meadow. But let's move on to the women's side of the draw because again, we had a, we have a very surprising we've had a very surprising women's final that i think is currently in play at the moment yeah between two players we've got madison keys versus svetlana kuznetsova and again both those players i mean i think madison keys came into this tournament again with not very much form i think she lost to she lost to Haley baptiste in washington um who's like ranked outside the t- t- top 250 so great effort from her to get to the final and then Svetlana Kuznetsova, who, sorry, Kuznetsova, I've got my stress patterns all wrong there, Kim, um, <laughs> <laughs> who is, you know, she's been there, done it around the tour for the last, you know, 15 years or whatever, 20 years. And, um, you know, she was actually restricted to playing because of visa issues. She can actually defend her title in Washington um, because she wasn't granted a visa and, you know, has made up for lost time, got a wild card into Cincinnati and, and has got to the final. Um so yeah I know and I've just had a look at the score Keys won the first set actually 7-5 she was a breakdown for most of that set so she's come back to clinch it so I mean that match could be going on for quite a while yeah but it's yeah it's interesting a note on Kuznetsova first I mean yeah pretty resurgent run of form in this tournament you know she um She's come through some some top players. She's beaten three top tenors, uh, which is actually the first time she's done that in in her career in one tournament. So she, you know, she defeated some really you know top opponents: Sevastova, Yastremska, who's you know been in really good form of late, Sloane Stephens, Pliskova, and you know Ash Barty. So if she's playing like this now at the U.S. Open, I mean, if she continues this form. She could, well, she's won she the could US win Open. the title again. It's not beyond <laughs> the realms of impossibility. Um, yeah, and as you said, it's this kind of, you know, this visa issue and then coming in. She said she hadn't played for a month, so she didn't have any sort of worries or concerns. She just sort of went out on court and thought, well, let's just see what happens. Yeah, I think that's great. In, all, in, all, in almost some ways, it's kind of great because you know, she was had... She had no expectations, came in with completely open mind and just kind of see, you know, what tennis she can produce and see how far that will get her. And it's worked really well for her. And you talk about that um, beating Yastremska. I think she was actually match points down in, in that match. And, you know, she's had an absolute wild ride to get to the final with, you know, lots of close three set battles. And then, yeah, absolutely, um, you know, Ash Barty actually didn't have any sort of response Answer. to her sort yeah. of play. Yeah, so... Yeah. Um, I think She's in been... that Barty match, because Netsfer sort of went a breakdown and then reeled off sort of eight straight games to, to come back. And incidentally, Barty, you know, needed to win that match to reclaim, you know, the world number one ranking. So um, sort of fairly significant outcome for that. But yeah, I mean, because I'm really pleased to see her in this form because she's always been a player that you know she's got like all the tricks and the shots in the book you know she is a very complete player in my in my mind and you know she's won two slams she's won the fed cup she's been around you know for so long that you know i I would quite like to see her win the title to be honest (laughs) and go all the way um i mean madison keys though she 
also, you know, hasn't been in, in the best of form. We were only saying, weren't we, I think last week, that she really needed to find some form. And I think she she was drawn against Muguruza in the first round. And, you know, obviously she came through that one. Uh, that was a, t- a tight match, I think. Um, and then she came through Kazakina, Simona Hallett, Venus Williams and Sophia Kennan. So again, she's played, you know, incredible players and come through that. So deserving finalists all, all around. Yes, and I think what's interesting with Madison Keys is, you know, we're coming up to the US Open. Serena Williams has got, a, you know, an injury cloud around her. And it does beg the question, you know, who is, which which female American is going into US Open with with the most form? Is it Madison Keys? She's got to the final and beat Sophia Kennan? Or, or would you say it's, would you say it's Kennan? Or... Well, Kennan has I... made two uh consecutive premier semi-finals she reached the semis of um toronto last week and now cincinnati and actually she (laughs) a little stat she beat ash barty last week who was the world number one last week and then this week she beat the new world number one naomi osaka (laughs) so it's the first time since 2001 that a player has defeated the number one player in consecutive weeks um so back then it was Lindsay Davenport who defeated two different number ones in two consecutive weeks. Um, so kind of a bit of a strange stat there. I mean, Osaka actually did retire in the third set of their match. So I'm not not entirely sure again if Osaka's, what her fitness is like going into the US Open. You know, she is still number one just, she's just held on to it. She she will be going into the US Open as the number one seed, you know, as the defending champion. Yeah. So again, I, question marks. But Kenin, she's now in the top twenty. I think this form, uh, sorry, this year, she's probably been the most informed American. Um, you know, in terms of the rise up the rankings and the final she's made and the titles. So, I think you know she she would certainly be a good one to go for. Perhaps yeah, a dark horse to to reach the the latter stages. Yeah, because we've got obviously Kenin has oh yeah probably been one of the probably the most consistent american over the season so far um not forgetting anisimova you know she reached semis of roland garros so another uh, american she was actually not in cincinnati she was uh, she was retired in well she she pulled out injured so if she can get you know fitness for the you know her home slam it's it's quite exciting they've got you know a lot of of prospects and you know they've also got sort of danielle collins you know she made semis in australia alison risk alison risk yeah you know really good on the grass perhaps not so much on the other surfaces but you know they do have a good number of uh, and obviously still got the williams sisters so serena you know could, could go all the way to the final um you know she's obviously still gunning for her first slam you know after after being out for yes. a while so it's it's yes. building up for another interesting women's grand slam um yeah. for sure and we probably and we're probably talking about US Open when you talk about the world women's world number run ranking we talked about it as as a hot potato mm. last week and i thought it was going to go back to, i thought go it was actually going to go back to barty <laughs> um as you said she needed to win in her semi was it she needed to win in her semi final um yeah. against uh, Kuznetsova to to get back the ranking. She didn't do that, but I feel like it's it could be a matter of time. Um, but yeah, it, it's just like, it's a bit like to me, to you, isn't it, at the moment? Yeah, it's like the Chuckle Brothers of um, <laughs> women's Grand Slam, women's world number one, sorry. 
Um, and yeah, we had uh, also the doubles final of Cincinnati for the women. Lucy Radechka, one of my favourite Czech names. I do like saying that, Radechka. I think that's right. And Klepak beat Grunefeld and Schurz. So um, yeah, keys cassettes for underway as we're recording this. Um, but yeah, I think it's time just for a quick ad break. And we're back with the spots of your favourites, Joel. Mysterious <laughs> player. So um, you did a, a fairly nasty one for me last week, which I took, <laughs> I think, all eight clues to guess. Yes, um, you did. And now it's my turn to to baffle you with some obscure uh, tennis knowledge. So are you going to do us a little intro? Yes, or would you like me right. to do that? <laughs> I will. Let me do a little bit of an intro. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Mysterious player. Right, there we go. Great, okay. Fabulous. Okay, so, <laughs> right. Everyone, get your uh, guessing minds ready. So, I was born on the 4th of July, 1962. <laughs> 1962, so... 17, 18, 19, 18, 12, 50, 50, 57. Um, 57. Okay, not, don't know. Next clue. I was born in Baltimore... USA. 57. Chris Everett Lloyd? Chris nope. Everett even? Nope. <laughs> She's not married to John Lloyd anymore. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Um, my highest singles ranking was number three, and my highest doubles ranking was number one. Todd Martin? Nope. Oh, that was really that rogue, was quite a but... random rogue guess, but anyway, good one, good good guess. Um, I reached the U.S. Open. Uh, sorry, I reached the U.S. Open final in 1978 at age 16, losing to uh, Chris Evert. Oh, U.S. Open final, 1978. Yep. Oh, 16 years old. So it's like. Jennifer Capriati back in 1978. Um, well, I guess. Um, oh, that's a tough one. Um, Billie Jean King? Nope. Oh. Right. How many clues have we got? Uh, sorry, that was your fourth one. I've got, uh, I've got actually nine in total. Oh, wow. Anyway. Okay. Um, right. So, right, next clue. I won 22 major doubles titles. <laughs> Uh, including Ooh. the 1988 gold uh, medal doubles uh, in Seoul in the Olympics. Oh, how could I forget? I mean, I mean, not. I mean, that was two <laughs> years before I was born. So uh... I did well. You know, you gave me sort of a fairly <laughs> oh old player. We have um, a lot of listeners who have followed tennis for longer than we've been alive. Yeah, so. I'm sure. American, good at doubles. Um. No, I can't. Okay, Next no clue. worries. This is- <laughs> <laughs> Next one. I completed the doubles year Grand Slam with Martina Navratilova in 1984. Ooh. Who actually was my partner <sighs> for um, 20, 20 Grand Slam doubles titles. Uh, I, know my, I know listeners will be literally shouting the answer at me right now because I have... <laughs> I haven't got the foggiest idea. 
uh, my doubles knowledge pre date of birth uh, is really letting me down. I think. Um, I mean, this person was a singles player as well. Obviously, she was like number three mm. in the world, it, but she was uh, most, you know, obviously successful for. Um, okay, next next clue. Um, I am a regular TV pundit. Uh, you know, on, at all of the Grand Slams. Working right. for the major networks. Oh, right. Um, so you still see her face. It's, it's got to be day. like Billie Jean King era <clears throat> and like Martina Navratilova era. Um, not Chris Everett. Oh, all I can, literally, the, all the Americans I can think about in that era is just Chris Everett. Um, <laughs> Next, uh, next clue. Okay, um, I was married to former James Bond George Lazenby. Oh, amazing! <laughs> and I have three children with him. Um, yeah, when amazing. I was like discovering George. about this player, I was like, "What? Married to James Bond?" Oh, uh, next, I've still got no idea. <laughs> okay, this is this the last is clue. This, this is, is the last torture. clue, and then I'll maybe create some more. Um, I was the first player to use an oversized Prince racket. Oh, of course. Of course, uh, you're going to get it, yeah, I'm going to go, <laughs> know this one now, yeah. Um, do you want another clue? Perhaps I can be more obvious. What are, what are their initials? Okay, the first name begins with P. Oh. And the second name begins with S. Patty Schneider? American, fifty-seven years of age. Yes, um, it's very similar. It sounds quite similar to Patty Schneider. Oh, especially the surname. Um, Maybe this was a bit mm. obscure for you, Joel. I'm sorry. I, I don't just, know. You're gonna have to tell me. The for some reason, this was the first me. player that came to my mind. I wanted to do sort of a retired <laughs> player, you know, someone a bit different, and this was the first person that came to my mind. Um, so the answer is duh, 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 Pam Shriver. Oh, Pam Shriver. <laughs> that is a great Yeah. That is a great one. So oh, that was if any really, listeners managed to get that, one. let us know. Uh let us know, you know, when you got it. If did you get it as soon as I mentioned, you know, <laughs> that she won everything with, you know, Martina Navratilova. They were one of the you know, the greatest women's doubles pairings of all time. So yes. uh <laughs> and actually if we'll we'll do one more of these before um before the US Open and if anyone's got an idea of someone they want me to challenge Kim with, and they've got a set of clues. Feel free to uh, to email them in, and if if we think they're good enough, we'll we'll make it uh, we'll make it a test uh, for Kim. Um, yeah, e- email the show passingshotpod at gmail dot com. But yeah, Kim, that was very that was very tricky. You completely called out my lack of American doubles and singles <laughs> specialists, but uh, fair mm. play, fair play. <laughs> well yes maybe i'll the next one i'll tone it down a bit i just you know i like a good hard question um but anyway one thing that did happen this week joel was it was national left-handed people's day um yes. i don't think it was specifically referring to tennis players it was just national left-handers day which um gave us which a little I... bit of an idea didn't it to ask everyone what who their favorite uh left-handed player was so you know I mean, for you, who would your favourite lefty be? I mean, mine's pretty obvious, is it not? Uh, is it Rafael Nadal, maybe? No. Oh. No, it is, yeah. Oh, I was, <laughs> of course I was really it shocked. Is, yeah. I was going to be really surprised there. <laughs> of course, it's the greatest left-handed ever. 
Um, but yeah, we had a lot of people who um, gave us their suggestions. So we had uh, Liz Curran saying that she loves a bit of Feli, and that has been enhanced by his recent successful pairing with her all-time favourite, Andy Murray. Uh, but she said, other notable lefties in the British camp who I enjoy watching include Jamie Murray and Cameron Norrie. So good shout out for for the Brits. <laughs> yes, uh, we had we have Phil McAllister go a bit more bit more niche, I think, and said shout outs to Jack Draper and Jurgen Meltzer. Also, Ruben Bemelmans for being a Wimbledon evergreen since what feels like childhood. Uh, Celez also won eight slams before she turned twenty, and Kvitova as well. So. Uh, Ruben ben- Bemelmans, I uh, all I know about him is he he played that Davis Cup match for Belgium against Great Britain. I think when we when we won it, but, I uh, think he um, isn't he like the person of the best Wimbledon qualifying record ever or something. I'm sure he featured because he's because he's left handed. Well, yeah, I'm sure he's like managed to qualify for like almost every Wimbledon that he's like tried to get into. I'm sure there's something on that. Um, but anyway, we had some older players. So Mark Imbong uh, said, definitely Rod Laver for me, um, though I never got to see him during his prime. Um, we also had uh, a few shout outs for uh, Angelique Kerber. She's a lefty. I didn't know she was a lefty. Have I just been ignorant to that fact? Um, but that was from Daydreamer Oz, who actually did say she's an underrated quiet achiever who works hard to maximise her potential. And I like this bit. And she has no patience for drama queens. <laughs> um, that's referring to her comments about Andreescu. Oh, apparently, uh, according to at LTIH fan, uh, Kerber, like Nadal, actually is not a natural born lefty. Ah, it's okay. just the hand she picked up the tennis racket and started playing okay. with. Well, so. in this context, we were asking for left-handed when they play. So that, yeah, she's she's fine. She's fine for that. <laughs> um, Isabel Entwistle said Petra Kvitova, again, just exceptional at her peak. And Lily Lilla May also said Petra, followed very closely by Angie. Uh, also a special shout out to Lucy Safarova, who really used being a lefty to her advantage. The way she could make her opponents run... Um, not by power, but simply by tricking them was a sight to behold. So, uh, yeah, some great suggestions. Oh, also Maisie Grill said Borna Korich. Um, although <laughs> she said he's left-handed, but plays right, but that still counts. Yeah. I think yeah, she, she might be a big Borna Korich fan. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And also Rosemary G did say Jamie Murray as well. So yeah, quite a few suggestions there. Good um, but yeah, elsewhere in tennis, I mean, just before we go, go on, Joel, if anyone do does have any anything you want to get off your chest, any questions for us, any comments, just remember you can let us know on social media at PassingShotPod and also email us PassingShotPod at gmail.com. Uh, we love to hear from everyone and get your thoughts and include you guys. So please keep them coming. Uh, but yeah, right. So back to the tennis world. What else has gone on this week, Joel? Tell us. Yes, we've had, I don't know if you saw Kim, in the, it was been reported that um, chair umpire Carlos Ramos, who you might remember was in the chair for the controversial US Open final last year between Serena Williams and Naomi Osaka. Well, it's come out that Ramos will not be officiating any Serena or Venus match um, at the US Open this year. Um, and I think from reading it, it sounds like that's at the request 
of Serena um, and, well, I think of Serena, uh, I just got me thinking, I think it opens up a little bit of a debate on, you know, should players be allowed to kind of call who who umpires and who doesn't umpire their matches? Um, it, just, it just kind of, yeah, I think, you know, it's a bit of a, uh, I think, like, if you're a tennis player, it's like, I don't know, in my in my book, it's like you're a professional and you should be able to, you know, you should Lump be able it. to. <laughs> it doesn't matter who the umpire is. You just got to deal with it. That's that goes with being yeah. a, a professional on the tour. Yeah, I would agree. I think it's just part of the job, isn't it? And, you know, you can't, uh, you know, to some extent, you have to deal with who you've got to deal with. It's like you can't choose who you play against. So why should you be allowed to kind of select your umpire? It's kind of like saying to the people who do the draws, like, I don't want to, like, there's three players that you mustn't draw me against in the first round. You know, Novak Djokovic, mm. I don't know, Ruben Bemelman, <laughs> Stan Ravrink or whatever. <laughs> like, it's like kind of trying to, trying to avoid that. But, you know, I, I mean, it's difficult, but I think apparently it is allowed. So, you know, the question is, yeah, should it be allowed mm. or not? Well, um, I think the other kind of famous example is, you know, with, uh, with your favourite, with Rafael Nadal mm, and yeah. uh, Carlos Bernardes, you know, they've had a, almost like a I think they've buried the hatchet now but I think there was a period of time as well when you know Bernardes didn't umpire Nadal matches but I think he he has done kind of more recently but um yeah I don't know if any of our our listeners actually have a view on this on whether you know you think players should be allowed to kind of say yeah I don't like you know I don't get on with that umpire I don't want him to umpire or her umpire my matches you know what, what what's your stance do you think that's okay or do you think like you know you, you you've just got to get on with it yeah and also if any I mean I know that they um you know I guess nationalities you couldn't have an American umpire uh you know umpiring a match featuring an American player that's sort of like an understandable potential bias but I mean, even with umpires, they must all have their favourites. I mean, we saw what, what Liani did, was it last year at the US <laughs> Open coaching Kyrgios almost, you know. <laughs> so, understandably, he got, you know, he did get, I think, some sort of punishment in the end. But, yeah, it's it's very interesting. Let us know your thoughts. Um, and then, also in the news this week, we've had some updates on the Labour Cup, which will be taking place in September in Geneva. So, we finally had... Um, well, Team Europe have announced two... Uh, well, Team Europe and Team World have announced uh, another player each. So we've got Stefanos Tsitsipas joining Team Europe and also Nick Kyrgios joining Team World. So um, <sighs> they've, the final I... lineups are now ready except for one more player to go on to Team World. I, I, is that, you know, a good move? And some people were saying, you know, going back to Kyrgios' behaviour, that yeah. should he be um, rewarded by being given a Labour Labour Cup position, you know, should he not... Is this compatible with his behaviour on court and people saying he should be punished and yet he's going off to play this, you know, highly exclusive elite event? I I agree. I, I hope that, well, the Rod Laver organisers will know what they're kind of getting themselves into. And I'm sure they're going to tell him, you know, we don't want any of this sort of, um, you know, throwing rackets business on court, etc. But, uh, you know, I think it is a, you know, I think it is a, a question where, you know, is it going to get to a point where actually tournament organisers could be like, actually, we don't want Nick Kyrgios at, at our tournament because of the, you know, the bad sort of reputation he, he kind of does bring with him. But um, I'm sure it'll be all fine because, you know, he'll be with, if he plays Sissipas, you know, they love each other. They've got a good bromance developing uh, this season. So, um, yeah, I just think, uh, 
yeah, very interesting. But yeah, Team Europe is kind of, I think, now all done and dusted. We've got Nadal, Federer, Team Zverev, Sissipas, and Fognini. Um, and Team World is, at the moment, Kevin Anderson, John Isner, Milos Raonic, Nick Kyrgios, and Denis Shapovalov, uh, with one final player to be named. I would probably caveat that's probably TBC, though, because Kevin Anderson and Milos Raonic at the moment, both are kind of injury have their injury uh, doubts. So, um, yeah, I think that the team world might change, but uh, we'll see kind of closer to the time. Um, but just kind of quickly moving on, next week we have Winston-Salem and and a new tournament, new WTA tournament, the Bronx Open. Um, I guess points of points of interest, we've kind of spoken, Kim, Winston-Salem, uh, Andy Murray uh, is going to be playing there. I think he plays, um, yeah, Tennis Sangrin. And uh, yeah, could face Shapovalov, who's the second seed in round two. Uh, Benoit Pairs, a top seed. Um, so that's going on. And then in the women's in, in the Bronx, I think we've kind of got, uh, I think we've got a top seed Wang Yang. Um, Stretskova, who obviously did well at Wimbledon. Um, it was going to be Petra Kvitova, but she pulled out. She was given a wild card, but pulled out on, on Friday. So, um, yes, yeah, so we've got those kind of two tournaments to, to look forward to. But I think what we're all kind of, what we're both obviously looking forward to is the US Open draw, Kim, which mm. is next Thursday. Yeah, it's upon us this time next week. We, <laughs> well, it'll be the eve of the US Open. Uh, we'll all be trying to stay up late Actually, I think, fortunately, I've been given the late shift at work, which is always much better for USA for purposes, because <laughs> it means I can stay up into the early hours of the morning and sleep in the next day. So um, that's great for more tennis watching. <laughs> yeah, we'll be on it with our preview of the tournament. I think, well, we'll be recording quite soon after the draw is made, um, perhaps with a special guest involved as well, Joel. And then yes. we'll be letting you all know our thoughts ahead of the tournament starting. Um, we might be making some horrendous predictions as well, <laughs> which we will laugh most about like, two most, weeks later. Most likely, yes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so join us for that uh, coming up soon. But I hope you've enjoyed the show. Let us know your thoughts on everything we've discussed in this week's episode at Passing Shop Pod. You can always find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. And until next time, goodbye.